where we continue in our series looking at Old Testament people of faith. And today, we come to Abraham. Abraham is the greatest figure of the Old Testament. To the Jews, obviously, he is Father Abraham, the progenitor of their faith and their nation, through Abraham's son Isaac. And to the Arabs, they also claim him as Father Abraham, through his son Ishmael. Even the Islamic faith, a subset of the Arabs, falsely tries to claim Abraham as the father of their faith. But they've changed the story completely and with Abraham living in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. And in Romans chapter 4, Galatians chapter 3, Paul says that all people who have been justified by faith are children of Abraham. So, spiritually speaking, Abraham is our father. Obviously not by heritage or by lineage, but because he's the great example of salvation by grace through faith. There are few people who have ever walked planet Earth who are as consequential as Abraham. Billions of people on our planet today look to him as an example of faith. Our study today is going to skim the surface of the story of this great man. The Bible records his story from Genesis 12 to Genesis 25. So first let's look now at Abraham's faith that it was based on revelation. One of the things that's most well known about Abraham is that he was not a native of the land of Israel. But he was called by God to go there. He was actually from Mesopotamia, from what today we would say is Iraq, from the city of Ur, We're told that in the end of Genesis chapter 11 that Abraham with his wife Sarah, his father Terah, his nephew Lot, they left the Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. They went about halfway and they stopped for a time in the city of Haran. After Abraham's father Terah died in Haran, they continued their journey to the promised land. Why did Abraham leave his home country and go on this journey of nearly a thousand miles? Because God told him to go. Because God revealed himself to Abraham. Stephen, in the beginning of his great speech in Acts chapter 7, puts the story this way. He says, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into the land in which you are now living. In Genesis 15, 7, God says to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. So let's go ahead and pick up the story now in Genesis chapter 12. So please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12 and follow along as I read verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, God reveals himself to Abraham By way of a promise. It wasn't just a command to leave. It was a command with the promise 
of blessing. Abraham was probably a lost, idolatrous pagan living in the Ur of the Chaldeans, which is a center of moon worship along the river Euphrates. His ancestry could be traced back to Shem, and to, uh, the, who was the son of Noah, into the Messianic line. But perhaps the memory of this God-fearing past had become murky, lingered dimly in the family stories. Abraham may well have lost the significance of his ancestry, but God had planned all along that the promised Messiah would come through him. So as always, God takes the initiative. John 1 tells us this. It says, Jesus came to his own. Jesus came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. One becomes a child of God. How? Not by blood. Not by heritage. Not by the will of the flesh. Not by somehow being physically born into it. Not by the will of man. It's not something we simply choose. We become children of God by God's will. By God's choice. God, in His grace, takes the initiative. God reaches out first through His Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and to convince us of His truth. We choose God because God chose us. We love God because God loved us first. We see this clearly in the example of Abraham. He chose God because God chose him. God revealed himself to Abraham over and over and over again. In Genesis 12, 4 through 7, as Abraham obeys God and travels into the land that God has promised, God reveals to him that while he's at Shechem in the land of Canaan, that this is the land, this very land you are now seeing with your eyes, this land I will give to your offspring. Again, after Lot and Abraham separate in, in chapter 13, verses 14 through 18, God reveals himself to Abraham with even more clarity about the lay of the land and the number of descendants. And in Genesis 15, God makes a visible covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 17, God institutes with Abraham that circumcision will be the sign of the covenant. Later in chapter 17 and 18, God promises to Abraham that his promised son, will be born through Sarah. Over and over and over again, God reveals himself to Abraham. Abraham's faith was based upon revelation. And so must ours. Our faith needs to be based on revelation. Our faith is not based on what we want God to be. Our faith is not based on our will or our decision. Our faith is not even based upon our traditions or our teaching. Our faith is based on solely one thing. God's revelation. Romans 10.17 makes it so clear. It says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our faith is based on the very words of Christ. The last two verses of the Gospel of John Chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name.
But these things are written, the Gospel of John. And by extension of that truth, the whole Bible was written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we might have life through his name. What a privilege we have that Abraham didn't have. What a blessing we have that Abraham did not have. We have the written revelation of God. We can know it. We can study it. We can share it. We can live it. Our faith is solely based upon God's revelation, the Bible. Well, next we see that Abraham's faith was built on trust. Go ahead and turn over to Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to read the first verses there in Genesis 15. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. For Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given to me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. For your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Verse 6, Genesis 15, 6 is one of the most important verses in our Bible. It's quoted three times in Romans chapter 4, Galatians chapter 3, James chapter 2. See, Abraham's faith wasn't a live faith. It was, it was marked by obedience. Hebrews 11, 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed. But, but it wasn't these amazing actions of obedience that was counted to him as righteousness. It was his faith. Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted his belief, his trust, his faith as righteousness. Romans 4, 1 through 5 says, What shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he is something to boast about, but not before the Lord. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but are his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. What was the basis of Abraham's faith? God's revelation. How did Abraham respond to that revelation? He believed it. He trusted it. He put his faith into God's word. And what was the result? From God's initiative to Abraham's responding faith, the result was Abraham's justification. The result was that God declared Abraham to be righteous. The result was Abraham's salvation. The result was Abraham becoming a child of God. He was not justified before God because of his actions. He was not saved. He was not declared righteous because of his works. But because he, by faith, trusted in God's revelation. All people for all time have always been saved the exact same way. 
There is only one way to become a child of God. From Adam to the very last person before the second coming of Jesus Christ, there is only one way to become a true follower of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is a great summary of this all-time truth of salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The Apostle Paul expounds on this one main truth in the first five chapters of Romans. The end of Romans 4 says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Like Abraham, our faith will be counted to us as righteousness. Our faith will be counted to us as salvation. As we believe in God who raised Jesus from the dead, as we believe that Jesus was crucified for our sins and raised in power for our justification. The biggest question you need to answer in your life today is, what do I believe? What do I believe? God has revealed to us what we need to believe. First is that God loves us. God has taken the initiative for God to love the world that he gave his one and only son. But we have a problem. We have this problem. It's called sin. And this sin has separated us from God. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. And we must believe that Jesus is the answer to our sin. That he is the only way. The scripture says, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, credited to us as righteousness. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And we need to confess. We need to confess Jesus as our Lord. We need to believe that he rose again. The scripture says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, to become a child of God, we must believe that Jesus is who he said he is. That Jesus did what he did. It says, but to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God has revealed his truth. Tis mine, but to believe. Norman Clayton wrote this famous hymn, My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me and paid the price of all my sin at Calvary. No merit of my own, his anger to suppress. My only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. His grace has planned it all. Tis mine but to believe and recognize his work of love and Christ receive. For me, he died. For me, he lives. And everlasting life and light he freely gives. See, Abraham believed the Lord. 
And it was credited to him as righteousness. How about you? Do you believe the Lord? You know, right now, in this very moment, if the Spirit is speaking to you right now, you don't have to wait. Right now, you can pray and admit and believe and confess. Well, next, we see that Abraham's faith was shown in his obedience. Time and time again, God revealed his will to Abraham. And time and time again, Abraham didn't just believe it. He did it. Abraham put his faith into action. There is no such thing as true faith that does not lead to living by faith. That's what the whole discussion about Abraham in the book of James is about. True faith, real faith, will result in a living faith. Salvation is not the end point of our relationship with God. It is the beginning point of our relationship with God. Martin Luther is quoted as saying, Faith alone saves, but faith is never alone. That's essentially what verse 10 says in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you want to, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll look at verse 10. I already quoted for you verses 8 and 9 in this sermon, but I want to now pull this together. Let's look at verse 10. So many of us could quote verses 8 and 9 by heart. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But there's verse 10. And it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, salvation is never by works. But true salvation always produces works. Salvation is never by works. But true salvation always produces works. Verse 10 says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. It says that God had prepared beforehand, even before we were saved. God was preparing beforehand the good works that we should walk in them in Jesus Christ. Now, the beginning part of verse 10 is really awesome. It is very special. It says that we are God's workmanship. You know that the Greek word for this word workmanship is poema. It's the same word. It's the same root word where we get the word poem. We are God's poem. Have you ever thought about being God's poem? We are God's personally crafted work of art. You are God's expression of his creativity. You are God's creative, crafted work of art, his masterpiece. You're on display for all to see. See, God specifically and masterfully and artfully created you in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works that would point back to him. Our salvation is all about Jesus. Our works are all about Jesus. My favorite verse is Matthew 5.16. It says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Every amazing work of art doesn't bring glory to itself. Every amazing work of art brings glory to its creator. That's us. It's Christians. This masterful poem of God. This 
work of art created by God to point back to God, to give him all the glory. God revealed himself to Abraham. And Abraham believed God and God counted his faith as righteousness. And Abraham, out of his faith, obeyed God. And God was glorified. Remember Hebrews 11.8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He went out not knowing where he was going. This really is putting your faith into action. He left the only life he had ever known, his country, his kindred, to follow God, not knowing where God was leading him. If you think about it a moment, that's the same challenge we face on a regular basis. That's the same challenge we have in putting our faith into action. How many times have we sat on the sidelines in our faith, afraid to put into action because we weren't sure what was going to happen? I'm not sure of the outcome, so I'm not going to take the risk. I'm not going to walk by faith because I don't know the destination. It might be hard. It might not be what I want. It might cost me something I do want. Instead of by faith obeying God and trusting Him to guide and direct us wherever He wants us, we put our faith into neutral. And we just slowly coast to a stop. Abraham was a man of faith and action. And that lesson he learned to be obedient to God, even if you don't know how things will turn out, that lesson he learned was the ultimate test of Genesis 22. See, God fully knowing what he was going to do and how it would all end, he challenged Abraham's faith. Genesis 22 starts off saying, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I will show you. Verse 3 is as startling as God's command. It says how Abraham responded. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose and went to the place to which God had told him. How does Abraham respond to God's test? Immediate obedience. How could he do that, right? How could he do that? Because he had already learned to trust God for the outcome. He had already learned to trust God for the outcome. He didn't know how God was going to work it all out. But he had the sure faith that God would work it all out. And of course, God did provide a sacrificial lamb in Isaac's place, in all of our places. Hebrews 11 17 through 19 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, Abraham believed God so strongly. Abraham trusted God so deeply because he had learned to obey and leave the outcome up to God. Folks, I totally believe that God will never ask us ever 
to do anything like he asked Abraham to do right there. God tested Abraham in this specific way for a very specific purpose. God was specifically using this moment, using Abraham, the father of true faith, and his promised son Isaac to be a type, to be a picture, to teach all people for all times about himself, about how he took his son, Jesus, the promised Messiah, and actually gave his son as a sacrificial lamb for our sins. What amazing love our Heavenly Father has for us that He would sacrifice His only Son for us. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, And this is love. And this is how God's love was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son as the propitiation, as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Where next we see that Abraham's faith was honed by his mistakes. Twice, at the end of Genesis 12 and in chapter 20, Abraham tells a full-out lie. Both times, he's confronted by a ruler that wants to add his wife Sarah to his harem of wives. And Abraham lies, saying that Sarah is not his wife. It was a common ancient Near East practice that when you make a peace treaty with someone, you would give a woman in your family to them to be one of their wives. That's how Solomon ended up with so many wives. It was a cultural thing. It was not a biblical thing. And it was wrong. Both times, Abraham lied and both times, God stepped in to protect Sarah and expose the lie. Not only that, but we see Abraham step ahead of God's plan instead of waiting for God to provide. After waiting for the promised son and none was provided, Abraham agrees with Sarah. He should have a child with Hagar, the, the handmaiden of Sarah, his son Ishmael. God was always going to keep his promise. He always does. And he never needs our help to hurry along his promises. That sin of Abraham, that sin of trying to manufacture God's blessings, of not waiting on God for his timing, the consequences of that sin brought great anguish into his family. And it is still, to this day, headline news on a daily basis in our lives with the ongoing hatred between Arabs, the children of Ishmael, and the Jews, the children of Isaac. You know one of the great things about the Bible? One of the great things that makes the Bible stand out as so unique in ancient literature is that it's authentic. It's a real book. It's not make-believe stories and everyone's this superhuman and everything is great. No, the greatest heroes of the Bible, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Peter, Paul, are all shown to be real followers of God. Great men of faith. And at the same time, flawed men that sin. You know why? Because the story of the Bible is not about great men of faith. The story of the Bible is about a great God of grace. The story of the Bible 
is about our great God of grace. The main character is God, lovingly, sacrificially offering salvation. Not on the basis of one works, not on the basis of our performance, but solely because God himself is gracious and forgiving. Because God himself is merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Story after story, person after person, page after page, reveals this God to us, the amazing, forgiving God. In God's holiness, all sin will be judged. We know that for sure. Yet God has made a very specific way in his patience and in his kindness and in his grace. And that way is through his son by putting our judgment on him so that we could know forever life, abundant life, and eternal life. See, we can learn a lot from Abraham's faith. So evaluate. Do you have faith? Is it real and active? Are you showing your faith through your good works that are giving glory to God? Maybe you came in here this morning and you're dealing with a specific sin issue in your life. Abraham teaches us that God is gracious. That God is forgiving. That who God is for you. Well, I found this story. The author states, My brother and I had traveled to the western edge of Zimbabwe to, the, to raft the Zambezi River. We boarded our raft at the base of Victoria Falls. Massive amounts of water spilled over the top of the giant falls that drop almost a thousand feet. The roar was deafening. The highest falls and the largest in the world, more than a mile wide. Mist from the spray that fills the air like fog can be seen for 50 miles. The locals call it smoke that thunders. The water from the falls rushed down the gorge in torrents, creating the world's largest rapids. In the United States, the highest class rapid you're allowed to raft is class 5. The Zambezi's whitewater rapids, top 7 and 8. As I sat on the edge of this eight-person raft, all suited up in a tight, overstuffed jacket and a thick crash helmet, I felt like an overcautious tourist. It can't be that dangerous, can it? But then our guide said, when the raft flips, there was no if the raft flips or on the off chance that the raft gets flipped. But when the raft flips, he went on and said, stay in the rough water. You'll be tempted to swim to the stagnant water at the edge of the banks. Don't do it because in the stagnant water is where the crocs are waiting for you. They're large and hungry. So even when the raft flips, stay in the rough water. It's great advice. It's great advice for our lives. The raft flips in our lives all the time. Flips and flips. What do, we, what do we yearn to do when our raft flips and the water is rough? We yearn to to, to find the stagnant water. We think it's safer there. We need to stay in the white water. We need to keep pursuing God. We need to keep pursuing his word. We need to keep pursuing his people. We need to keep pursuing his plan. Don't head for the stagnant water. It seems safer to go there, to, to give up the fight. It seems simpler. The stagnant water. But actually, that's where it's most dangerous. 
See, stagnancy will kill your spirit. Stagnancy will kill your obedience. Stagnancy will kill your passion to follow God. We need to live in a rough water. To live a life that's just a little bit uncertain. Where you have to live by faith. Like Abraham. We need to live by faith and let the outcome to God. So what's one area of your life today where your faith might be stagnant, where your faith has been pulled over and you've stopped? Pray, trust God for the outcome. And get back into the water. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you. Thank you for the story of Abraham, this great man of faith who followed you in obedience, who believed your revelation, trusted you in amazing ways. This great man that was flawed, that was sinful, that, that when confronted, he lied. That when, that when he felt you took too long, he took matters into his own hands. This great man of faith that found forgiveness and hope and transformation and life, and second chances from your hand, from your love, from your friendship. Lord, may we today learn from Abraham. May we today have a faith that is active and alive and is out, you know, pushing the boundaries where we don't know what the outcome is, but we can trust you. May it be. In Jesus' name, amen.